0: power
1: Are you taking care of the people around you? Are you helping them? Or are you, in effect, muzzling them while they are trying to do the work that is set in front of them? And so it's such an important reality for us that in the spheres of influence that we have, that we make sure that we are helping people and that we give them the things that they need that they might succeed. Because really what we find here is that God is concerned about the animals, but he is also concerned about people.
0: We all have circles of influence where we can potentially help or harm other people. God desires for us to build each other up, giving our fellow Jesus followers the support they need to thrive in this life. As we seek to help others in their ministry, we'll be spreading the good news of the gospel along with them, doing our part to support, not hold them back. Pastor Daniel would like to remind us that today's message contains some mature themes. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 25, with his continuing study called More Random Laws. Jesus is real.
1: All right, let's open up in those Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 25. Deuteronomy 25. As we continue this slow and leisurely journey through the book of Deuteronomy, we're drawing to a close kind of this middle section in the book of Deuteronomy. If you have been traveling with us, we did this, the first part of Deuteronomy called Refresh, where Moses was refreshing everybody on why the laws are there. And now we're in this middle section called Blueprints, and we're going to be moving soon to the final section in a brand new series. But We always have to remember that the law contains really three types of laws. The civil law, the ceremonial law, and the moral law. So if you think about it, the civil law is how are the children of Israel meant to be organized? The civics of the community, right? The ceremonial law is how shall we worship? What is God asking of us in regards to worship? And then the moral law, what is right and what is wrong? Now, as we study things like the civil, the ceremonial, and the moral law, what is unique is because we don't live in the nation of Israel not 2,000 years ago or you know, 3,500 or 4,000 years ago, a lot of these things you're like, well, what does this have to do with us? And so one of the things I'm always trying to do is how do you take the concepts that are there and how do we bring them into what we see every single day? And so what's beautiful is although cultures may change, people don't. And the dynamics of what goes on amongst people, although maybe culturally looking different, there's a lot of similarities. And so I think it's really important that we study these things because Jesus said that everything is fulfilled in him. And the laws are important and they're necessary. So there's a lot of things that we can learn. We're not under the law, but we're constantly learning from these things. I mentioned it already, I'm going to mention it again, that some of the content of this message is going to be mature content. There's some adult discussions going on here, and I think I wanted to remind you, if you have um, maybe a constitution that's a little sensitive or whatever, uh, I just want to make you aware of, obviously, and I wouldn't put my kids in this message if I were you. So let's jump right on in. Deuteronomy 25, verse 1. If there is a dispute between men and they come to court that the judges may judge them and they justify the righteous and condemn the wicked. Then it shall be, if the wicked man deserves to be beaten, that the judge will cause him to lie down and be beaten in his presence, according to his guilt with a certain number of blows. Forty blows he may be given, and no more, lest he should exceed this and beat him with many blows above these, and your brother be humiliated in your sight." Now, this is one of those kind of classic civil laws. And the idea is that there's a dispute between two people and they have to come before the judges. So in any situation, God's design is that we be able to work out whatever the differences that we have are. You know, that two people in a room, and I'll be honest with you, communication face-to-face between two people I think should be able to heal 90% of the problems but I realize that what happens is when people start disputing, they stop communicating. When they stop communicating or their communication is unsafe or angry, then you, sometimes you have to bring other people involved. Now, I think that, that it's really important for us as followers of Jesus. You should be a face-to-face, calm, communicating kind of person. If there's a problem, sit down and talk with somebody. Look them in the eye and find out where they're coming from, explain where you're coming from, and pray together and seek to find some consensus. In some ways, this is stuff that I teach my kids, but so often adults don't know how to do it either. And it's not okay. As followers of Jesus, we should learn how to work things out. And I literally believe that two people looking into each other's eyes, talking, should be able to work out most things. In the cases that that's not possible, then at that point, a situation is going to be brought to the judges and it's the judge's job to justify the righteous and condemn the wicked. So if there's a case that has to go before the magistrates, the magistrate's job is to say, this person is right and this person is wrong and be able to mete out any potential punishments. And so what we learn here is that If there's somebody who is wicked and they're deserving to be beaten, now you might say, whoa, but listen, up until more recent times, one of the ways people dealt with punishment was through physical violence. The good old-fashioned spanking for children, not spanking in anger. Listen, if you spank your kids in anger, that is not godly discipline. That is your sin, and now you're just ruining your kids. That's what you're doing. Okay, you have to make sure that we realize that. But ancient cultures, it was very, very common for people to receive punishment. And it still goes on today. It's not only, we don't do it in the West necessarily. But I mean, how many of you grew up in school where there was maybe a teacher or none who meted out some physical punishment? But you know what I mean? It's like a lot of people, you had those type of experiences. So in this case, if somebody is deserving to receive some sort of physical punishment, and it has to happen right in front of the judge and For a certain number of blows. And notice it says 40 blows here shall be given and no more. So why does it have to be done in front of the magistrate? One, I think because for a judge, having to actually watch the punishment that you're doling out is going to be a counterbalance to someone who might be overly aggressive. No judge is perfect. They're going to make wrong decisions, but if they have to watch the decisions that they're making, that is going to be an accountability for them because what is going on being inflicted on somebody else, they have to actually be a part of and watch. So that's one part of it. Now, the other part of it, of course, is the judge would want to make sure that any punishment that was levied or meted out was not excessive given what the punishment was. So having it in front of the person who it was their responsibility to pronounce the judgment also is a form of accountability. So you might not have some people who want to be excessive in their punishments. So, and then finally in verse three, we find 40 blows may be given to him and no more lest he should exceed this and beat him with many blows above all. And your brother be humiliated in your sight. So even in receiving punishment, God still cares about the dignity of the person who is guilty. Now, I think like, we need to stop there for a second because I think oftentimes we don't think that even when someone does something deserving of punishment that we should still in love seek to maintain their dignity. A lot of times we think, I'm frustrated, I'm tired of this, they deserve punishment, and who cares? It's like, no, 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 God cares. Because even though the person is guilty and deserving of these blows, God wants to make sure that this person's dignity is still kept intact. Now, it's interesting that the Jewish people from this law got into what they would call 40 minus one. So the Jewish people wanted to be merciful. So instead of giving the 40 blows allotted, they would subtract one. And the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24, in giving his apostolic credentials, he says, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. So what that means is the Apostle Paul, as he was going about doing the work of the ministry, five different times he was brought before the judges and he received these 40 blows, but he only got 39 because the Jewish people were being merciful to him. But in some of those ways, it's the marks of Paul's ministry. Now, as I started thinking about that, this idea, I started thinking, you know, I think it's really important that we don't only follow Jesus when everything is going wonderful, but we learn how to follow Jesus when things are uncomfortable you know you you see the life of the apostle paul almost everything that he went through it was hardship after hardship god did amazing things planted churches the apostle paul wrote a third of our new testament inspired by the holy spirit but he he talks about being shipwrecked being given 40 lashes minus one five different times i mean if it happened to one of us like i'm not going to go do ministry amongst jewish people that hurts You know, like, why would I? But he got it five different times. So the Apostle Paul would keep going back. Why? Because the gospel so captivated his life. And so we've been talking a lot about the idea of perseverance. And I think the Lord really wants to birth a healthy perseverance in our lives. Because in some ways, one of the downsides of living in the blessed, comfortable, materialistic culture that we live in is that we've kind of gotten a little spiritually flabby. You know, like we've lost the ability to keep going when things get tough. Like we love Jesus when everything is wonderful, but then when everything isn't wonderful, all of a sudden we fall away. If all of a sudden someone who you care about says, well, I can't believe you're a Christian. Why would you be a Christian? You're like, well, maybe I'm not really a Christian anymore. We have to learn the art of following through, persevering through. In one instance, the apostle Paul, he preached and they were so angry at his preaching that they actually threw rocks at him so that he would die and they dragged him out of the city, but he didn't die. And so when he woke up, you know what he did? He went back in the city and he preached again. And I read that stuff and I'm like, Lord, make me a man of intense perseverance. Lord, let me follow you in such a way that it's that kind of can't stop, won't stop mentality. You know, it's kind of like my little daughter, Annabelle. Annabelle's getting potty trained right now. You can pray for us. But I'll be honest with you. If Annabelle goes pee-pee in the potty, she will not stop until she gets her M&M treat. Because that's what, you know, it's like you give her a little M&M. And so, but she goes pee-pee in the potty. She is like all over like, M&M, I want pee-pee in the potty. I that want pee-pee in the potty? M&M, M&M. And she won't quit until she gets the M&M. And I watch her and I'm like, she's got it. She wants that M&M so bad that she's not willing to let it up until she gets what she thinks she should have. And I think we should be like that with Jesus, because you know what? That's exactly how Jesus is with us. For some of you right now, you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, but Jesus is pursuing you. And I'm here to tell you, he's not going to stop until he gets the job done with you. He's going to keep pursuing and keep pursuing and keep reaching out and keep allowing situations to be what they are and say, hey, listen, I want to do something in your life. Until you say, okay, Lord, I'm going to take that step. And the reason I can say that is because for the people here who have already put their faith and trust in Jesus, that's exactly what Jesus did to them, right? He starts pursuing and he isn't going to take no for an answer. And he pursues and he pursues and he pursues until we finally say, all right, you're Jesus. Okay. And we bow our, the knees of our hearts to him. So if you're here tonight and God's persistent with you, I'm here to tell you, God's going to continue to do that until you say yes because God loves you that much. Anything that's worth anything, you have to pursue. And Jesus is going to pursue you until you allow him to do the things he wants to do in your life. So if you're here, don't flee from that anymore. Wisdom would say you just surrender to the pursuit of God in your life, and you allow God to take his rightful place on the throne of your heart. So here we see this idea of the meeting out of punishment. Now, also in verse 4, we learn that you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. So not only are people who are guilty to be treated with kindness, but now we learn that animals must be treated with kindness also. See, when animals were working, they would need food in order to stay energized to do the work. And so it's important that what they're saying is that if you have an animal, allow that animal to eat so that animal can keep doing the work that it needs to do. Now, what's interesting is the Apostle Paul quotes this in both 1 Corinthians 9, verse 9, and 1 Timothy 5, verse 18. Two different places the Apostle Paul quotes this verse, and in both places, he actually does not apply it to animals. He applies it to ministers of the gospel. And the idea was, is that it's not a spiritual thing to starve your pastor in the name of ministry. Does that make sense? So it's interesting that what Paul's saying is like, what's going on here is that the oxen needs to be taken care of. And in the same way, we need to take care of one another. Now for each one of us, are you taking care of the people around you? Are you helping them? Or are you, in effect, muzzling them while they are trying to do the work that is set in front of them? And so it's such an important reality for us that in the spheres of influence that we have, that we make sure that we are helping people and that we give them the things that they need that they might succeed. Because really what we find here is that God is concerned about the animals, but he is also concerned about people. So the idea of muzzling, are you not feeding somebody who would need food in order to be energized to do what they're doing? So make sure we take care of one another, that kindness matters. Now in verse five, look at what happens. It says, if brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the widow of the dead man shall be married to a stranger outside the family. Her husband's brother shall go into her Take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her, it shall be that the firstborn son, which she bears, will succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. But if a man does not want to take... I'll stop there and I'll explain this. Because you read this and you're like, what? Okay, so this is what is called the leverate marriage. And literally the word lever in the Latin, it means the firstborn. So let me explain this to you. So in that culture the continuance of the family line was very, very important. So if you have a brother, the oldest brother, right? Let's say he gets married, right? But he doesn't have a male offspring, then his name, his familial line ends right there. So if an older brother is married and he dies without an offspring, it was the responsibility of the next younger brother to marry his older brother's wife and bear children. And the firstborn children of the union of the wife with the next younger brother is actually considered the older brother's offspring. Now, I know that sounds kind of crazy, and you start thinking about the damage. I mean, you can imagine if you were like a younger brother and your older brother was getting married, you're like kind of checking out his wife. Like, you know, I hope if things things go good, everything will be fine. If things don't go good, I need to know what's going on here. And so, I mean, let's be real about it. I mean, just try and put yourself in that situation. Now you might say, well, what about the women? Now you have to remember, this was not 21st century America. This was about caring for women when a spouse died, when a wife... because. See, all these things go together because you had families that were given land by allotment. And unlike today where it's like you grow up in your parents' house and you move out and get your own house. In that day, you lived in your parents' house and you built a little house on your parents' house and your parents' property was your property. Their business was your business. Not like today, you just kind of choose your own adventure. That's not the way it was. That's a more recent development. Really, and only a more recent development in the last four or 500 years right? But for a long time, families stayed together. All the families were together. And so what would go on is that if an older brother died without bearing offspring, then that woman would have to leave the family that she's now a part of and be married to somebody else. And what does this mean for inheritance laws and all these things? So it was a way to protect women who didn't have male offsprings and lost their husband. Now there is a built-in caring for them mechanism so that she would have family and then she can raise up offspring and for that firstborn son because he would receive a double portion of his father's inheritance. That son now takes that place. So we read about this in, of course, the account as sordid as it is, Genesis 38, the affair of Judah with Tamar. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you can read it. It's like so good. It'd be like a soap opera, you know? But there was a woman Tamar, she was married to Judah's oldest son, and then the son died, and then to the next son, and then that son died, and then the third son, third son was like, man, everyone's dying with this girl, I don't want to have anything to do with it, you know, and then a whole bunch of stuff went on, and I don't want to get into it right now, but it's quite sorted, you know, and, um, but we read about this idea of this levirate marriage there, you also read about it in the book of Ruth. I just recently read through the book of Ruth in my own devotional time. Ruth, when she died, when she went back to Jerusalem, because Naomi's son, who was Ruth's husband, had passed away, they were vulnerable. And so Boaz, who is the male in that story, he performs the rite of the levirate marriage for Ruth. And their offspring, Boaz and Ruth, is in the lineage, the genealogy of Jesus. And so all these things play on through the Bible. So it explains that God's heart is that the name of the deceased brother won't be blotted out from Israel. God wants to retain the family name. Now, I think it's important because we don't really think about the family name too much anymore. It's like our culture here in America has kind of lost this idea of my family name, my family line, but maybe it's something that we need to regain again. Because we know from the scriptures that the family, a husband and a wife and their offspring, is God's primary plan for discipleship. We know that in our culture, the family is much maligned. That at this point, the vast majority of people are growing up in families that we can call broken families or blended families. And so I think as followers of Jesus, we need to make commitment to the art of the family, the way God intended it. Now, again, if you have history and backgrounds, listen, there's grace and there's no condemnation in Christ. But if you're here today and you're single, you want to search for that one person who you're going to spend the rest of your life. And you got to grind through all the good times and the bad times. And if you have kids, then you're definitely going to have to grind through all that stuff, you know? But you make that commitment and you hang on as best as you can and you work for that. And it's such an important reality because the name of a family is important. I have it with my kids now. We talk about things and they're like, well, so-and-so. I'm like, well, listen, your last name is Fusco. So that said my kids. And people can do whatever they want to do, but you're a Fusco. This is who we are. And I talk to my kids about that stuff. Why? Because I care about what my kids are doing. I want my kids to be different than other kids. You know, and so... Me and Lynn have decided, we're going to talk to our kids that way. Other kids may do that, but you're a Fusco. We're not like that. We want to do this and this and this. Because we want our family name and our offspring and our kids' kids, Lord willing, if the Lord tarries, and grandkids and great-grandkids and stuff, we want them all to be very much the way God would intend them to be. And so make sure we make those commitments to your family name and make those investments in your family in order that your family would have a good testimony So, now, what happens? And look what it says in verse 7. But if a man does not want to take his brother's wife, then let his brother's wife go up to the gate to the elders and say, my husband's brother refuses to raise up a name to his brother in Israel. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brothers. Then the elders of the city shall call him and speak to him. But if he stands firm and says, I do not want to take her... Then his brother's wife shall come to him in the presence of the elders, remove his sandal from his foot, spit in his face and answer and say, so shall it be done to the man who will not build up his brother's house and his name shall be called in Israel, the house of him who had his sandal removed. (laughs) This is fun, right? Okay, what is this all about? So you can imagine... That in certain situations, the next oldest brother is like, Well, I don't want to raise up offspring for my brother because I want the place of preeminence. I don't want my son or my brother's son, who's mine, to get that place of primacy as the eldest son, the next in line. So I'm not going to do it. Now we have somebody who is not willing to conform to God's design for their culture. And so what happens? Now the woman who is not being taken care of, now she is exceedingly vulnerable in that culture. She goes to the elders at the gates of the city. Now, in every town, there were the elders who sat at the city gates. It was almost like a form of authority there. They would make decisions. They would oversee the way things worked because they were the elders and their job was to oversee and make sure everybody was doing the right things. Much like within the people of God. The idea of the elders, those mature Men in the church Who their job was to look out for the church And look out for the spiritual health of the church It says that in the Bible That he who desires the office of an elder Desires a good thing I tell every guy I talk to I'm like you should be growing That you would be an elder in this place That you'd be the kind of person Who looks out for the spiritual well-being Of the Crossroads family
0: Jesus is Today's spattering of laws covered punishment, kindness to animals, and those in ministry, and even went into laws concerning the rights of widows. These laws may seem a bit obscure, but as Pastor Daniel explained, they all had meaning for the Israelites. Each of these guidelines God gave showed us that he cares about the dignity of all, including those who had done wrong. God loved and still loves his people dearly.
1: Jesus is Real Radio is the radio ministry of Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. The messages that you hear each day here on Jesus is Real Radio were produced from messages that Pastor Daniel shared on Sunday mornings and the midweek study. It's our prayer that this teaching from God's Word blessed and encouraged you in your walk with Jesus Christ. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel Fusco here. I'm the lead pastor of Crossroads Community Church. I love that God invites all of us to be a part of his family and I wanted to invite you to be a part of my family of faith. In Vancouver, services on Sundays at 9 a.m., 11 a.m. and 1 p.m. or in Southwest Portland, our service on Sundays at 10 a.m. as well as midweek services Wednesday at 7 p.m. at both campuses. We would love to have you join us and if you're at a distance, check us out on our internet campus, crossroadslive.tv. I look forward to seeing you soon.
0: Join us again here on Jesus is Real Radio when Pastor Daniel continues to discuss relationships between people as God commanded them to be. These laws we'll be studying are specific, but reveal a deeper love and care that is definitely on God's heart. Our response to situations should reflect that heart and should show love to others. God wants us to build each other up, not tear each other down.